Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name's Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I'm joined, as ever, by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst. I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I'm here to talk about Blind Beast, which is Dan's pick for this fortnight, and it's the first comedy we've done in a while. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Dan, uh, what made you pick Blind Beast? I'll keep you in the dark as to whether I liked it or not, but what was the impetus with this one? Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, the first is obviously that I like it. I think it's an interesting and slightly weird little film. But also, it's just another one of those lovely examples of of our favourite thing, which is us talking about a film on the podcast and then later on it, Arrow release it. Yeah, we've been really lucky with that, actually. We've had quite a lot of those. Like, we had True Romance, Massacre Time. I'm sure there's others, but... um, There's there's definitely loads, yeah. Yeah, and just before we kind of get into the meat of this, Precious Arrowhead, this is one is actually on arrow player so if you haven't seen it please do go ahead and check it out but we are going to try and avoid spoilers obviously because it is a bit of a a a hidden gem a a kind of underground treasure please do go and watch it just in case we spoil some tiny detail or something but dan what is the plot of blind beast well i mean it's you know again as often with these little genre gems it's quite a simple plot a um an artist's model a muse is kidnapped by a blind amateur sculptor who has sort of decided he's obsessed with her for some pretty flimsy reasons, in all fairness. And uh, he decides that he's going to keep her captive in his crazy warehouse with the assistance of his mother um, and use her as his muse so that he can create this new form of art based on touch. And, uh, And it gets weirder than that. Yeah, it gets much weirder than that. Yeah, this is a fantastic film. This was a first watch for me. Very, very bleak, which I always like. It's not a comedy. That was a joke at the start. Well, you say it's not a comedy, Sam, but it does have some comic elements in it, and they're weird. And I think maybe to if someone doesn't watch a lot of Japanese cinema, and, you know, we have a very wide range of tastes amongst our listenership, then some of the stuff that is meant to be a little bit lighter might just read as additionally weird (laughs) yes i exactly yeah the culture it's coming out of and the time in which it was made means that there's some um yeah there are some uh, uh, very unusual elements i guess the reason i'm in the middle of this comedy not comedy discussion is i have an insanely dark sense of humor and there were actually moments when I did laugh at the yeah. darkness here. You know, I like you, Dan, I'm a fan of stuff. Well, Chris Morris's stuff, basically. Yeah. Um, and there were elements that kind of almost reminded me of that to a certain extent. It just goes so, so crazy extreme. You do kind of have to laugh, though. I think more kind of general audiences, even within the ranks of the beloved Arrowheads, might find some of this pretty tough going it's well the thing is like it deals with some pretty dark stuff like content wise but it's actually a lot more restrained in what it shows than i think i would have expected from a japanese film of this era that's very true i mean so it's a 1969 picture and quite aside from the sort of the censorship things in japan that i think a lot of film watchers particularly genre film watchers are aware of anyway it's it's actually quite yeah it is quite restrained it's very aesthetic it's very, very much about the look of the film. And even though it's quite minimalist in a lot of ways, it, it's like minimalist spectacle all the way through. It's kind of, there's only three characters in it. There's only three actors in it. 
Uh, that's not too much of a spoiler to say that, I don't think. Absolutely beautiful production design, but with performances that aren't swamped by some of the kind of incredible and preposterous stuff that they're surrounded by in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to say, really, um, because part of the joy of the film is you're discovering it as it goes along. Yeah. And it escalates in such an interesting way. Like, I really don't want to spoil anything from the second half of the movie. Yeah, it's got like a bit of a psycho feel to me, which I don't know if everyone will have that reaction, but it gave me a bit of that flavour. And there's a a really kind of interesting, almost fantasy element that's really difficult to discuss without massive spoilers. Um, But yeah, they're both kind of personal interpretations. So I I think that's not too far to say. Dan, you chose this. Take it away. What what are we going to talk about here? Okay, so on the rewatch, here's here's a thing that jumped out at me. Mm -hmm. And I'd forgotten about... I mean, I hadn't forgotten the set. The set is incredibly memorable. And without being too descriptive, I'm sure anyone doing any remote research on this will see some pictures of the set because it's one of the big things about the movie. But I was struck by how reminiscent it was of Dali's designs for Hitchcock's Spellbound, the dream sequences in Spellbound. Yeah, yeah, that's a great shot. And I, I wondered if there was a sort of a connected thing there but but like the thing is all the way through it's it's a little vague with some of this stuff it doesn't really dig maybe as deep as it could but it touches on some really interesting stuff and it posits some really interesting theories um so for example there's a bit where the the blind sculptor poses as a as a masseuse which is to those who don't know a masseuse is like traditionally they're blind in Japan. It was like you go back to things like Zatoichi. The reason he's a, a masseuse is because that was the sort of the cultural space, the workspace for the blind in Japan. And that is because that allows them to occupy a, a place of trust because they're going to be, you know, quite intimate with their clients. And and this is about the betrayal of that in that moment. This is how this guy is able to sort of like sneak in and be this this predator but then it also talks like it just touches on loads of things that are quite uniquely japanese there's a bit where he says he hates his parents for for you know for for having a blind child his eyes were damaged at birth and he hates his parents for that and and yet his mother is in the film and is is quite doting as well so there is a bit of an exchange about them about how it's her fault for you know for him being blind and that kind of stuff so there's loads of cultural stuff in it that's interesting from an outside perspective if if you're not super familiar with it but interesting if you are familiar with how it plays into japanese culture through their cinema because it turns some of it around a bit absolutely and and what it has to say kind of more generally and more kind of universally about perversion and art and the escalation of certain fetishes that stuff was very interesting to me the kind of things that you're born with i'm trying to talk around spoilers here but there's kind of a line early on in the massage sequence that maybe ties to stuff that sort of happens in the third act again precious arrowheads please go and watch it on the arrow streaming service so that you can kind of pick up on these kind of details but there's certainly stuff seeded earlier that makes our lead woman's journey a little bit more interesting than it potentially could have been and this does come from a kind of tradition in japanese cinema at this time like but like you say it's more restrained than stuff like i don't know like fairy in a cage is that a fair comparison probably not that's way more extreme but um <laughs> yeah i was gonna say it's a lot a lot yeah, less extreme yeah that. but but dealing with themes of bdsm 
ideas of BDSM are explored in this movie. And yeah, I just think it's handled in a really, really interesting way. And and there's some Freudian stuff in here as well, and Freudian stuff to do with the nature of relationships and how we kind of look for people to potentially replace other people. I don't know. Anyway, that is getting way too close to the spoiler zone. Beautifully performed, beautifully shot. The production design is incredible. So even on those levels, this film is definitely worth seeking out. Any more to say on that front, Dan? I think maybe one of the things you were touching on is that this was around the time that there was still a cultural buzz around the Sada Abe case in Japan, which is who was a sex worker who had uh, smothered her lover and then castrated him and carried his genitals around with her. And she kind of became like a sort of a weird like celebrity yeah. off the back of this. And I think that these sort of like broken romantic relationships are a lot more present in the way that Japanese fiction deals with stuff on screen. Yeah, absolutely. Exploring stuff by taking it to the the furthest possible extreme and that's definitely what this this film does. So, if you want a memorable experience, if you want an ending that you're not going to forget in a hurry, like there are some images in in these uh kind of final moments that are still resonating with me now. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed this one, Dan. Thank you so much for, for choosing it. What did you think of the extras as someone who was already aware of this film? How did you feel about the extras? Yeah, I thought they were really good. The introduction was fantastic. There's a 20-minute introduction that's that's really solid. I forget the chap's name now. He's been on a bunch of Arrow stuff, and he's always really good. Tony Raines. The, uh, Tony Raines, yeah. yes, there you go. Yeah, he's, he's very, very good. The commentary is also very good. I was a little less impressed with the video essay. It's extensively a... Um, a sort of description of what happens in the film in about 10 minutes although the last like three or four minutes of it are fantastic i just wish there was more of that bit yeah i i'd agree with that and i did enjoy the commentary um by earl jackson it is very dry so oh yeah it doesn't really engage you in the same way as some commentaries that arrows put out but if you do stick with it and concentrate there is a rich array of information well-researched information in there um, yeah. My only kind of wish is that it would have been nice to have a Japanese perspective on the movie, yeah. either in the form of a commentary or an interview. We're doing Battle Royale next time, and that's something that's going to come up again. I'm certainly not having a go at Arrow for this, but it would be really nice if, if moving forward, whenever they put out a Japanese movie, it'd be nice to have more of a Japanese perspective because, you know, it it, it, it sits in a cultural world that... There's no real insight into on this disc, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's, it is very much all from a Western perspective. Yeah. And my other sort of minor criticism, God, I'm grumpy today, but um, I'm not really sure about the box art by Tony Stella. I normally love Tony Stella's art. I think it's incredible. But this kind of box art f- felt very murky and even a bit unflattering. Like it feels like the art is inspired by the mood of the film as opposed to art that's going to sell the movie. And yeah, the elements that are kind of supposed to represent the sculpture, just I, it just doesn't work for me. And the reason I do kind of pull that out, it's not just to be um, a twat. It's just in case there's anyone listening to this that has passed it by because the art looks a bit, I don't know, you know, doesn't really jump off the shelf. Obviously, as with all Arrow titles, you can flip it and um, there's a more dynamic original artwork on the inside and it is a film that's worth seeking out um does does that uh, how did you feel about the box art dan do you want to provide a uh, 
a, I, a no, different I immediately perspective. turned it around. Oh, did you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, um, let's let's leave it there. And Tony, if you're listening to this, I think you're an incredible artist. Like, oh, yeah. your work is fucking amazing. But there's just something about this one that didn't quite work for me. And I, I worry that it won't work for other people and they'll pass it by. And they shouldn't because this film is quite an experience. All right. That's it occurs, all I have to say. It occurs that. to me, Sam, that you... Uh that maybe the reason you're asking for Japanese insight is because the best extra feature we've ever seen while doing this podcast is the interview with Junichiro uh, <laughs> Hayashi yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, on the Pulse disc. Yes. The cinematographer just, oh, just perfect. Oh, God, I've got such fond and happy memories of watching that extra just next level <laughs> next level if you haven't picked up pulse on blu-ray this isn't a recommendation based on this film it's a recommendation based on what dan just, just said yeah exactly yeah wonderful all right well i i really think that's kind of it for this one i hope that uh... we've said enough to sell it to you or i am alternatively going to sit back and let dan speak for a bit dan what else do you want to say about blind beast so one of the things so there are a lot of sculptures in the movie and particularly a lot of sculptures of, of women in general and they play at all different scales and there's a bit where someone slides down off the belly of the woman between her legs and runs away and she has a very conspicuously smooth groin with no detail which obviously sort of plays towards what was and wasn't acceptable to show in japan at the time as well but it got me thinking about sculpture of the fe- of the female form the sort of the male gaze in art and and mm. all of these like big female spaces i was thinking of uh nikki de saint fails uh hun the the huge uh plaster legs sort of like very brightly colored female legs where the uh opening of the vagina is a doorway that people can walk through i was thinking of oh sophia wallace who made a uh, a rodeo like bull that was based on the anatomical structure of the clitoris and how this art and women as a muse when this film was made was still very much part of this oh men do art of beautiful women and that's just part of what art is and that that is sort of slightly being sort of reclaimed in some of this more modern sculpture with female sculptors doing doing stuff uh, based around the female anatomy as well incidentally i should uh, admit that the reason i got onto this sort of low level tangent is because i thought that sculpture looks like the big golden bum from the sir mixalot video <laughs> <laughs> Wow, what a journey. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, I mean, great. Because one of the ways of reading this film, one of the interpretations you could have is it's about art in a patriarchy and what that does to women, Um, how it kind of changes their own self-image. It's kind of like the photographer stealing the soul, how much of the soul gets stolen by a, a sculptor. But there's another wildly different way to read this movie that I'm not going to go into that completely transforms the film. And yeah, I I don't even want to hint at it because it's such a wonderful moment in the film. But um, go and watch it on Arrow or or pick up this Blu-ray because, yeah, it, it's a really, yeah. really special film. And, and I'm really, really glad that you picked it, Dan. Um, yeah, it's we... definitely the first time I've seen it looking this good. Oh, God, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's an, I, I guess that's another question. Again, I've only ever seen it on Blu-ray. Presumably, you've seen this on slightly fuzzier um, copies. Um, yeah, how much I... did it change the experience? Because there's a lot of detail in the backgrounds in this one. Yeah, it's interesting. I would say there's not 
like while there's a notable improvement i wouldn't say that there were that many details i hadn't seen before based on the old dvd that i had but compared to the first time i watched it which was a vhs bootleg it was you know you you could because the other thing is it's not an especially colorful film either Mm, there's a lot of shadow it plays with light a lot yeah so it's it's quite dark and that did not fare well on the old vhs thank goodness we've got this on blu-ray and uh on on hd streaming because yeah like i say very special film and i'm looking forward to hearing what your recommendations are based on it but i'm gonna go first you go first sam because i'm a little bit worried that you might have this one but let's see back up oh good excellent because i haven't so the collector yeah is that on yours no no it's not well it's another uh movie inspired by literature it's yeah the collector is fucking incredible i love it it's also about a dude who kidnaps and imprisons a woman except here she's the artist she's an art student and he kind of encourages her to create while um, he's trying to make her fall in love with him. It's also got a, a very dark ending, which obviously I'm not going to spoil here. But God, I love The Collector so much. Absolutely astonishing performances from Terence Stamp and Samantha Egger at the heart of this film. It's essentially a two-hander. Uh, in the same way that uh, Blind Beast is essentially a three-hander. But these actors, fucking hell, they are absolutely next level. So it's out on Indicator in the UK. I massively, massively recommend it. Go in as cold as you can. You won't regret it. The Collector, I recommend it. Dan, what is first from you? Uh, Yeah, just to say, The Collector is amazing. And Sam is talking about the one from 1965, not the one from 2009. Oh, shit. I didn't know there was another one. Yes, I am. (laughs) Fucking hell. (laughs) Um, I am sort of loosely named after a John Fowles novel. Uh, John Fowles wrote The Collector. Yeah. Um, And my parents had wanted to call me Daniel anyway. And then it was announced that John Fowles' next novel was going to be called Daniel Martin. Um, and so they gave me a bonus first name just in case the lead in the new novel that they hadn't read yet was as unpleasant <laughs> as Terrence Stamp's character in The Collector so that I could, you know, if it was super famous, they didn't want to have accidentally named me after a, like a very famous baddie. That's incredible. Thank goodness they didn't want to name you the Magus. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, what, what's first up from you based on Blind Beast? Um, it's a film I've mentioned before, but I don't. I think it was just something I'd watched recently. Although maybe I've. I just love it. It's an amazing film. It's Femina Redens by Piero Shivazappa. I think is mm-hmm. how you say it. Uh, it's from 1969. Um, it actually has uh, Nikki de Saint Fails uh, Hun in it. The the sculptor I mentioned, the huge legs, uh, and it's about a sex worker who is kidnapped by a by a sort of mad millionaire with a crazy house full of insane sort of inventions and and artworks, and who basically decides that she should just live there and and be there, and he'll sort of break her will until she does. But it's got the crazy sort of like color drenched slightly campy aesthetic of of that era while being a very dark film and again don't want to spoil it but what an ending Mm. and and also as you might expect just from the era what a soundtrack it's on shameless in the uk i think it's only a dvd i'm hoping there'll be a blu-ray of it in the future Awesome. Oh, no, no, hang on. I do have a Blu-ray of it. I can't remember where that came from. It's an American one. Oh, okay. Maybe Dan will put that in the description when he puts this yeah. episode live. But um, yeah, fantastic. Great recommendation. Now, I'm going to recommend another movie about an artist who imprisons a woman to fulfill his sick S&M fantasies, which has an extremely bleak and disturbing atmosphere. 
Uh, that film is A Little More Flesh 2, the latest masterpiece by a director I really love, Sam Ashurst. Now, this genius director always takes big risks, whether that's making a movie in one take with one actor with Frankenstein's creature or centering a film around an offensive audio commentary with a little more flesh or in this sequel playing a total psycho and using his own name. Sam's made three movies that have all taken big swings and you've got to respect that, Dan. I'm not sure if you're aware of this director, but um, yeah. He's, I'll check him out. Check him out. He's really good. So yeah, A Little More Flesh 2. It's out on Black Widio on VHS and I recommend it. Dan, <laughs> I'm sorry. Were you squirming all the way through that? <laughs> I mean, no, I was, just, I was just moving about. It wasn't <laughs> wasn't in a deep discomfort. <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> What's next from you? Next from me is a Georges-Henri Clouseau movie from 1968, a year before Femina Redens. It's Georges-Henri Clouseau's Woman in Chains. Awesome. I think it might be Clouseau's last film. Again, I feel like I've probably mentioned this before. It's certainly an interesting one. Again, it's set in the world of art. This one is less abduction-y, but is more kind of like Fifty Shades of Grey, like sort of getting into a psychosexual, like super sensual relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, to use the pre-S&M terminology. And I think at the time it would probably be quite shocking. To be completely honest now, it's like some of the sexual like power play stuff in it's a little bit bland. Not that that's something I particularly care for in films. Like all of these films are sort of, I love them in spite of that stuff rather than because of them. So it does lose its pace a little bit when it focuses on that stuff. But the art and the space that it occupies is amazing. And again, just a an incredible ending. Whatever you think about the first nine tenths of the film will be completely elevated by the last five minutes. Awesome. Perfect. Love it. And let's uh, move swiftly on to what we've been watching in the past couple of weeks because I think you're going to love both of these movies that I've got this week, Dan. Um, But what have you got first off? Am I going first? Oh, I can go first. Why not? I was just trying to build up a little bit of anticipation, but yeah, I just want to get to it anyway. Uh, My new favourite Wuxia, Dan. Um, Oh, hello. Duel to the Death has just oh, yeah. come out on Blu-ray uh, via Eureka. Yeah, and, that's amazing. Yeah, it's an utter masterpiece. Totally ridiculous in places. The sequence in which a bunch of ninjas join together to become one massive ninja has to be seen to be believed. But I'm not going to say too much about it because there's just so many fantastic set pieces here for you to discover for yourself. Uh, I will just recommend that everyone buys it. It is an absolute joy from start to finish. Jaw to the death. Dan's having a beer. I recommend it. <laughs> I was trying to do that quietly. You can cut that out, maybe. It's not a beer anyway. It's a tonic, Ooh. but it is going in some booze. Hey. No, actually, it's not. It's going in some not booze. Oh. I'm drinking this sort of like weird non-alcoholic thing. Oh, I'm nice. Pour it on mic now. But it's yeah. Anyway, I'll talk to you about that off mic. That doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I revisited. They have changed their face. Nice. Uh, by Great Corrado one. Farina from 1971. Corrado Farina, probably more famous for Baba Yaga, uh, which he did a few years later. Um, this is a very stylized, very peculiar modernist vampire tale. It stars Adolfo Celi, who people will recognize as the eye-patched Largo from Thunderball as a mysterious company owner in a mansion off in the hills goes by the name of Nosferatu and it ostensibly and rather ham-fistedly makes the argument that advertising is a form of vampirism but it's absolutely amazing all the way through it's got touches of Putney Swope in there yeah I can't recommend it highly enough it's an absolute delight I love this movie I love it so much yeah great kind of critique of capitalism as you say 
and yeah i do i do love it when uh i think isn't his full name giovanni nosferatu like i i just i love it when vampire movies have characters named things like barry dracula and and no one guesses (laughs) they're a vampire until long into the movie so yeah uh, oh that's such a great great recommendation i love it um and i'm hoping you'll love this next one dan um i know you used to have it on vhs robotrix how do you feel oh, about yeah. robot tricks? Do you... Yeah, yeah. The, the, is it uh, Amy Yip? Yes, correct. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's great. The... One of the latter Cat 3s. Exactly. So, and, and because it's a Cat 3, it's potentially very offensive. Uh, these Category 3 movies all have some wild shit in them. But yes, I can't, again, I can't say too much about what I thought of it. Not for spoiler reasons this time, but because... I actually got the Blu-ray for the purposes of review. So I feel a bit bad if I then say everything I said in the review when people should read uh, issue 345 of SFX magazine uh, if they want to find out in detail what I thought. But I just love it so much. It's so, so, so fun. Um, Just imagine Terminator meets Robocop, but uh, with some of the most kind of offensive uh moments of humor that you can possibly imagine uh, that is robotrix i love it it's out on 88 films on a fancy new blu-ray very fun i recommend it okay so my next recommendation comes with a massive part of caveats i'm glad we're doing it on a, an episode where pretty much everything we're talking about is slightly difficult <laughs> yes apart from duel to the death <laughs> apart from duel to the death yeah. which is just fun yeah uh, so, this has been mentioned just very briefly in passing on the podcast before, because when Arrow started their own streaming service, um, I was interested to see that, uh, I was excited to see that they were going to be holding some of the AGFA titles, which do not have UK distribution, on their streaming service, so that now British audiences, English audiences, would have an opportunity to see some of these films. And I assumed that one of the titles, at very least, would not be making it to the UK server because of some of its content, and I was 100% incorrect. So after having had its questionable value extolled to me at length by a person I trust greatly, I finally bit the bullet and gave it a watch. And when I say gave it a watch, I mean watched it in about three, four sittings, because it is quite difficult to get to. It is also very, 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 very bad. But if you have the stomach for it... I strongly recommend Bat Pussy. Ah, yes. Okay. So, (laughs) I think this will be the first time, definitely the first time, probably the last time, uh, either Sam or I will recommend anything that actually qualifies as pornography on this uh, podcast. Bat Pussy was uh, ostensibly discovered in the 90s in the back room of a cinema. Until that point, no one... Or, you know, no one who wasn't involved in it, I think, knew it existed. And no one has come forwards to acknowledge ownership or, or creative uh, sort of rights holding of it. It's ostensibly the first example of a parody porn film uh, being a parody of the 60s uh, Batman TV series. But it is baffling in every possible <laughs> way. Have you watched it, Sam? I haven't, actually. I'm obviously aware of it, but no, I haven't yeah. caught it yet. So it's about nine-tenths of a very unattractive couple having very uh, unerotic sex and arguing, constantly bickering with each other in what appears to be, based on the sound, a set of a room built 
in a basketball court around which a game is happening. There's this sort of like cathedral reverb and then the squeak of shoes on linoleum (laughs) constantly. And then every now and then the sound will cut out as they are presumably fed lines from behind the camera. It's like drunken improv porn. They're just sort of like vacillating between gross sex talk and insane arguments. And then it cuts between this and Bat Pussy, who is a bored-looking young woman who, after getting changed rather slowly and talking to herself in what looks like a cement basement with a crayon bat drawn on a piece of paper taped to the wall, proceeds to race to wherever this other scene is taking place on a space hopper, stopping only to foil one crime by hitting someone with a space hopper and then getting back on board. And it's because she can tell, preemptively, for gross reasons, that uh, someone is about to make a pawn in Gotham, which is not allowed. <laughs> And so she's going to interrupt, or as it turns out, get involved. One of the most amazing bits of it, and I suspect everyone was high or drunk, is that when she finally arrives and gets stuck in, the guy keeps on calling her Batwoman, and then someone is correct, someone, either the other woman in this, one of the women in the scene, or someone off camera, corrects him to Batpussy. At which point he then corrects himself. But they've just left it all in. They've left all the copyright infringement in. Incredible. I love it. That will probably make a decent double bill with Robotrix, maybe, from the sounds of it. I mean, <laughs> Robotrix is a little bit porny in places. And, and it has... Yeah, I mean, this is actually hardcore porn. Don't it... don't get me wrong. This is actual pornography. Interesting. Right. Okay. I mean, well... But it is, as I said, you have seen, like, drywall DIY videos on YouTube that are more erotic. It <laughs> is. It's like they looked at the, the least sexy event ever and was like, what can we add to this? Drunken shouting. Love it. I love it. Well, yeah, that's on uh, Arrow, as Dan said, and it's actually sold out on Blu-ray um, on the the Vinegar on Syndrome site. So um, if you do want to watch it, I would get in there as quickly as possible and then by all means tweet Dan and let him know what you thought. Of me for having recommended it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's only 50 minutes, five zero by the looks of things. So um, it will be a quick watch. Um, as as pornographic films so often are. Uh, right, oh <laughs> extra, features. extra features. Extra features. Extra uh, features. I have no extra features. Dan, do you have any extra features? I got nothing. Excellent. Well, I'm not going to push anyone towards my social media this week because I'm really crap at it at the moment. Instead, I'm going to ask you to go to Dan's accounts, which are as follows. Dan. Uh, I'm at 13fingerfx on both Twitter and Instagram, uh, and I'm trying. That's it. I'm just trying. You are. Um, yeah, I'm very busy internationally at the moment and um, and don't necessarily have a huge amount of time to, to tweet about stuff. But um, when I do, I hope it's at least remotely worth it. Excellent. And uh, do we have any final words on Blind Beast? Because I feel like, is there any more that we can actually say about it? without ruining it okay one thing i will say is that it fits into a japanese subgenre called irogoro which is a short for the erotic grotesque or erotic grotesque nonsense sort of self-depreciating term for this kind of thing it's based on a story by idagawa rampo who is uh, a kind of perennial source for for the irogoro stuff in japan and it does it gets pretty wild in the third act but it's yeah, it's a fun. I'd say it's a really good gateway into that stuff. If you like horrors of the malformed men that Sam and I talked about a while ago, that's also based on actually three Rampo stories. Yeah, and there's another Irogoro piece. Uh, it's not as wild as that. It's not as crazy, but it's definitely within that subgenre. 
it has elements that I'd, I'd kind of put on a level. It certainly doesn't go the way you're expecting it to, put it that way. And yeah, I'd say that if you love Chris Morris, if you love Alfred Hitchcock, this does feel like a, an unholy mashup of those two things, but with all of the kind of Japanese cultural stuff that um, that gives it its own feel and tone and, and atmosphere. And it all combines perfectly to create a, a really, really memorable experience. So um, we'll wrap it up now. I just felt like we needed to give it an extra little push at the end there because I don't, great. I don't feel like this episode has been my best work. I'm going to be honest with you, Dan. <laughs> but let's see how we go in Battle Royale, which we'll be doing in a fortnight's time. So uh, we'll see you then. And until then, thank you so much for listening. And we promise to be more professional next time. Next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>